Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 148. Today's topic is DSA's Green New Deal Part 5. So DSA is Democratic Socialists of America. If you want to learn more about them, go to dsausa.org. And we've been talking about the talking through their version of the Green New Deal for four previous episodes. Now we're on part five. So DSA, in my opinion and in my observation, is one of the more dynamic organizations on the American left. And we'll be reading through their version of the Green New Deal. But first, here's what the Climate Report is all about. So on the Climate Report, we exist to address the threat of climate change, aka climate disruption, climate catastrophe, we are already experiencing catastrophes related to climate. Climate catastrophe is not in the vague and unspecified future. It is here and now and in the recent past. We have ice caps melting and glaciers melting. Those provide a steady stream of fresh water for both people and ecosystems. And it is catastrophic that uh, glaciers and ice caps are melting. We have record forest fires. We had a record forest fire in California this year. That is quite literally catastrophic. We have droughts and record heat waves that have an impact on people. They cause people to not have a sufficient amount of water. In most parts of America, we don't have to worry about you know, having enough fresh water with notable exceptions, notable exceptions such as Flint, Michigan. But sometimes we lack sympathy and empathy for people in other countries because the impacts are not on us, at least if you're privileged and <laughs> uh, middle or upper class, you sometimes don't see the impacts of what we are doing to the planet via climate change. Plus, in the modern world, especially the corporate world, wants us, they, they benefit when we feel removed from nature so that you know, if there's a 75% decline in insects, some people think that's a good thing, but it's actually a bad thing because we depend on those insects to live. So there are major uh, catastrophes already occurring due to climate change. There are also five other threats to our very existence, uh, including war, not limited, uh, including but not limited to nuclear war, including diminishing supplies of fresh water, including a dysfunctional uh, a food delivery system that is centered on agribusiness instead of small local organic farms. We saw also have a rapidly diminishing uh, supply of biodiversity in our world and we depend on that biodiversity to live. So the climate chain, the climate report exists to address to look at these problems and to address the political causes of these problems because the all five threats that I just named have a common cause and that common cause is let's say it capitalism
Now, I'm not saying we should eliminate all small businesses. I am saying that the profit motive is fundamentally destructive if the profit motive is the only determining factor for whether we produce this or that product. I think the profit motive is destructive if the profit is the sole determining factor for whether someone has a job. There is a better way to organize our affairs, but the very rich have led us to believe that capitalism, aka the free market system, is the only way to fly, baby. And they there's an elaborate set of lies around what I call the free market fairy tale. For example, part of the fairy tale is that capitalism is efficient. And when somebody tells you capitalism is efficient, here's how I want you to respond. I want you to say, capitalism is efficient at doing what? Efficiency is meaningless apart from purpose. So, capitalism is efficient at doing what? If capitalism is efficient at deforestation, that's not the kind of efficiency we want. If capitalism is, is efficient at polluting water, that's not the kind of efficiency we want. If capitalism is efficient at growing huge businesses that Im amass a lot of wealth and a lot of power that they then use to buy our government, then that's not the kind of efficiency we want. Okay, so we've established that capitalism is not all it's cracked up to be. What about socialism? So the word socialism means different things to different people, but in its very, in its most modest definition, socialism is simply the acknowledgement that in many important respects we are in this together and we have co-ownership of the assets that surround us. So nobody should think that they own pollinators because it's a common asset, it's a shared asset. And if some private players are destroying pollinators, then they are stealing what rightfully belongs to the community. If some private players are polluting the water and polluting the air and adversely impacting climate, then they are stealing what is not rightfully theirs. So socialism is the very modest proposition that in many respects we share these assets, we breathe the same air, we drink, we don't all drink the same water, but in many respects the water supply is a shared community asset. The, uh, the pollinators and wildlife in the world are a shared asset that should be managed for the benefit of the community. So it's just silly and ludicrous to think that private interests should have the power and the freedom to run roughshod 
over the assets that rightfully belong to the community. And at its very at its most modest definition, we should embrace socialism because socialism simply says that the community shares assets that need to be managed and protected for the benefit of the community. And if you vilify socialism, then I need to see your plan for protecting the assets that rightfully belong to the community. Mitch McConnell does not have a plan for protecting the assets that belong to our community. Chuck Schumer does not have a plan for protecting the assets that belong to our community. Nancy Pelosi does not have a plan for protecting the assets that belong to our community. And I dare say John Yarmouth, liberal, supposedly liberal, representative from Louisville does not have a plan for protecting the assets that rightfully belong to the community. The reason I know this is because he opposes the Green New Deal. His rhetoric has been so non-committal. I have to say, if you're not with us, you're against us. Um, if you're not in favor of a policy, then I can only conclude that you're against it because we're not in at a place where we can where lukewarm is going to get us anywhere so because we have these five grave ominous threats to our very existence society is in need of a transformation the green new deal is that transformation and if you don't think the Green New Deal is what we need then I need to see your alternative plan otherwise I have to conclude you don't have a plan but what we need to do is practice the three pillars of activism which is educate organize and agitate and that's what the climate report is all about this program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. If you enjoy this content, then I invite you to go to theclimatereport.net where you can get additional episodes, additional playlists, you can get videos, and also my blog. And don't forget to email info at theclimatereport.net for any questions or feedback. Now let's continue reading the DSA's version of the Green New Deal. Together with our allies, we can organize a powerful, multifaceted movement to catalyze the major left turn in American politics and massive structural changes that are necessary to ensure climate justice and human survival. So it talks about a major left turn. I'm going to choose to define left here as 
that which favors people and planet over profit. And I'm going to talk about right wing as if right wing means you're putting an undue amount of faith in this discredited notion that if we just let the free market empower business, then business will take care of us. That, so, you know, I'm, we need to let business take care of us, and business will take care of us if we just let the free market work its magic. But the magic of the free market is, like all other magic, it is a fairy tale, and we don't need to be concerned with fairy tales. We don't need to be driven by fairy tales. We don't need to be deluded or confused by fairy tales. And the free market is a fairy tale. The free market is something that is just a license for business to pollute and to exploit. The free market is a license for business to privatize profits while socializing costs. Pollution is an example of where business socializes the cost of their business. So if that's what the free market is, I want no part of it. And if that's what the free market does, I want no part of it. Another key phrase here in the text is a massive structural, we need massive structural changes. So, for example, massive structural changes means that we no longer have the automobile, the six-passenger automobile, as the primary mode of transport, uh, transportation. doesn't mean we can't have six-passenger automobiles. It means they can no longer be the primary mode of transformation, transportation. That is a massive structural change. But it's a change that's good for most people. In fact, if we get a mass transportation system worthy of the name, then the poor and the middle class will be able to uh, travel more, not less. Our transportation system, such as it is, is geared toward the needs and interests of the wealthy. The wealthy travel more because they can afford flight, air travel. The wealthy travel more because they can afford cars. So if we have this massive structural change, probably what we'll see is that the very wealthy travel less and the poor and the middle class travel more. But in any event, it's a massive structural change. We also need a massive structural change in the way we grow food and the way we deliver food. That's a massive structural change. But massive structural changes are needed and any politician that is not on board with the need for massive structural change, well, we need to consider whether they're truly working in the best interests of the 99%. Continuing to read, because we see the fight for the climate as a struggle against capitalism itself 
and the myriad forms of oppression which sustain it, we propose to organize within Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, and without, around the following guiding principles for a radical Green New Deal. So a key phrase I want to point out here is we see the fight for the climate as a struggle against capitalism itself and the myriad forms of oppression which sustain it. So one question is, should the DSA and should proponents of the Green New Deal be struggling against capitalism itself? And I think the answer to that is yes, insofar as capitalism represents oppression. Insofar as capitalism encourages pollution, it needs to be opposed. Because pollution is oppression. Insofar as capitalism supports the 1% and helps the 1% stay in power and oppress the 99% by depriving the 99% of democratic rights, then capitalism needs to be opposed. Insofar as capitalism encourages huge monopolies to continue to amass wealth and power, then capitalism needs to be opposed. So if you favor a form of capitalism that is friendly to small business, well, that's not the system we have. If you care about small business, you need to consider whether small business needs socialist protections. So the Antitrust Act is a socialist protection insofar as the Antitrust Act is supposed to break up big monopolies, which has not done with any, it has not done at all since 1980. What we have now is a game of monopoly. What we have now is a game of winner-take-all. What we have now is where businesses continue to grow and grow and grow and amass power and buy politicians and buy out the competition and outcompete the competition in a way that is not good for anybody except the shareholders of the largest corporations. If that's capitalism, then who is, who is for that? Who favors that except the 1% or the fraction of the 1%? So if capitalism means supporting policies that only the 1% could possibly favor, then I'm opposed, aren't you? So here are the seven principles that are the backbone of DSA's Green New Deal. I'm going to read them real quick and then we're going to take several episodes to go through the rest of them. But number one, decarbonize the economy fully by 2030. Number two, democratize control over major energy systems and resources. 
Number three, center the working class in a just transition to an economy of societal and ecological care. Number four, decommodify survival by guaranteeing living wages, health care, child care, housing, food, water, energy, public transit, a healthy environment, and other necessities for all. Number five, reinvent our communities to serve people and planet, not profit. Number six, demilitarize, decolonize, and strive for a future of international solidarity and cooperation. Number seven, redistribute resources from the worst polluters with just and progressive taxes on the rich, on big corporations, and on dirty industry, as well as by diverting funds away from policing, prisons, and our government's bloated military budget. So those are the seven principles. Let's start with number one. Decarbonize the economy fully by 2030. So one question is, can that be done? And another question is, does it need to be done? So if you would like for me to get you some research on the question of can it be done, please email info at theclimatereport.net. People who question whether it can be done are usually disingenuous. And I include my own congressional representative in that group because I don't think he has spent more than five minutes reading the Green New Deal or if he has he just comes to that conversation with a truckload of excuses as to why it cannot be done. So for example he told the WFPL uh, John Yarmouth told WFPL, most people who look at the Green New Deal say there's no way we could do virtually any of it in the time frame that they want to do it, Yarmouth said, adding he didn't know if the deal would be fiscally sound. He said, quote, I suspect the deal is very hard to justify on budgetary grounds. It's hard to know what part of the Green New Deal Yarmouth is talking about, but when he says it can't be justified on budgetary grounds, it's also true that spending a trillion dollars a year on defense cannot be justified on budgetary grounds. Maybe he thinks that the part that cannot be justified on budgetary grounds is the part that refers to meeting 100% of the power demand in the United States through clean, renewable, and zero-emission energy sources, including by dramatically expanding and upgrading existing renewable power sources and by deploying new capacity. Has John Yarmouth done a study about any of this? Does he have an alternative plan? If he doesn't think we can uh, get to our goals by 2030, then what is a reasonable time frame? 
if the Green New Deal, as proposed, cannot be justified on budgetary grounds, then what can be justified on budgetary grounds, Mr. Yarmouth? Maybe the part that he thinks cannot be justified on budgetary ground is the part that says uh, we're going to spur massive growth in clean manufacturing in the United States and remove pollution and greenhouse gas emissions from manufacturing and industry as much as technically feasible, including by expanding renewable energy manufacturing and investing in existing manufacturing and industry. Mr. Yarmouth, if that is not feasible, then what is feasible? And where is your plan? But the DSA's version of the Green New Deal calls for decarbonizing the economy fully by 2030. And people who don't think that's possible need to have their own plan. They need to have done their own research. They can't just be sitting in standing in the way. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. Those are the choices. Continuing to read, we need to set a more ambitious time frame than the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. We need to set a more ambitious time frame than the IPCC 1.5 degrees Celsius pathways suggest because of the United States' historical responsibility for carbon pollution, because highly industrialized societies have the greatest capacity to rapidly reduce emissions and afford the shift from endless fossil-fueled growth to regenerative systems, and because the faster decarbonization will give us the greatest chance of avoiding more catastrophic climate tipping points. So the IPCC, which is part of the United Nations, which is um, responsible for the international negotiations on these issues, has set a target of let's stay below 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. What we have so far is 1.1 degrees Celsius of warming, and we want to stay below 1.5 if at all possible. We want to not go over 2 degrees Celsius if at all possible. And even the path that we're on now, I mean the path that we're on now is the path of doing nothing. Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi are interested in doing nothing. And by all appearances, I regret to say, our Democratic Congressman John Yarmouth is interested in doing nothing. I mean, I have read everything he's written about this or said about this. I don't see any commitment whatsoever. So I've got about another minute left. Let me leave you something to think about. So making progress toward meaningful goals is uh, it's about grassroots organizing. It's about putting pressure on our government so that our government will take action. We have a, gr a government that is largely controlled by money. We need to shift from that 
to a government that is primarily controlled by the people, not uh, controlled by the 99% as opposed to what we have now, which is a government controlled by the 1% of the wealthiest people. And the, op the Green New Deal is an opportunity of a lifetime, and I think an unprecedented opportunity in history. There has never been an opportunity like this to so dramatically and rapidly expand power from the few to the many. And the thing is, we can have a lot of fun in the process, and in so doing, we have the power and the opportunity to create a whole new world. Thank you for joining me. Hope you enjoyed this. Come back next time. Bye now.